It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT, and uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now... Here's JT the Brick. JT, as we're back here Friday, as we wrap it up this week, on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, brought to you by our great friends at Resorts World. Find me over at Resorts World. Doghouse Saloon is my official home for Monday Night Football, as we mentioned today, Red Tail, which is another space that they have there for sports, which is really cool. They'll have the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame announcement, and we support Rich Murata. And his entire team will be down there as we've been talking about that. So I'll be down at Red Tail a little bit later. And eight cigar lounge. If you're a cigar guy or gal, you'll love it there. The ventilation, you feel like you're in a room with no smoke, which is a marvel. Absolute marvel for those who love cigar bars and like to go outside. There's an indoor-outdoor element to it. Great music. A great place to have a locker. Our buddies at Remy Martin have a beautiful locker there with all of their great cognac. So... Uh, Check us out over at 8 Lounge. We'll be there also a little bit later on today. So as we wrap up this week, I'm really proud of the Dave Ziegler interview we did because Dave was very gracious and asked us to come in and we'll kiss the Raiders to sit down exclusively with him after the draft and discuss the picks and get a little bit about his philosophy going forward as we get to know the head coach and the GM more here on the flagship station of the Raiders and he was very generous with his time, about 20, 22 minutes here. You're about to hear. And a lot of downloads at Raider dot, Raiders.com and people uh, texting me and talking about Dave and how forthcoming he's been since he's been named the new GM of the Silver and Black. So from earlier in the week, my conversation with Dave Ziegler at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center as we sat down after a few busy days in Vegas where the Raiders started out with a third-round pick, and then went all the way through, signed some undrafted free agents, my conversation with the GM of the Raiders. It's a high honor to talk to you in the Raider Nation as we welcome in the GM of the Silver and Black. As we get going, Dave Ziegler, kind enough to join us. How are you, Dave? You're all set. I'm outstanding. You're great to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Oh, I love it. And I got to ask you, because we got a lot to cover here, what did it look like to you when you didn't have a pick in the first two rounds but you looked out at that sea of humanity in Vegas. That must have been outstanding for you to see. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it just you know, just to see all the um, <clears throat> all the people flock out here to Vegas, which we know is an outstanding city as is, and um, everybody dressed up in there. You know, whether it was their Raiders gear or those were the people I was looking for. Yeah, they were uh, there. Yeah, but you know, all the different fans and things like that, and just to see like how this event's grown. You know, and then seeing uh, the city of Las Vegas being able to support it. One, it looked like a great time. I know you had a great time. We had a good time. I know Modelo was down there doing their. You know, the do, buckets do, of Modelo do, were flowing. We're, no doing, doubt. we're doing their thing, and you know, the M had their event, and um, just a cool, you know, just a cool thing to see. I think the vibe here for me is like, um, you know, I know it's a new, it's a new market, but it just seems like the right fit. Like yeah. if the if the Raiders were going somewhere, the Raiders in Vegas. It just seems like a beautiful marriage, and it was a lot of fun to see all those people down there having a good time, and we were working, um, and me and Josh were working and continuing to get prepared for the next day. 
Um, and so we were double dipping, but it was, yeah, definitely fun to see. Yeah, it looked great because you see the Bellagio fountains and then you see the link. And these are areas that you and your wife and your kids are going to frequent over the next couple of years and hopefully for a very long time. And it just popped. You know, Radio yeah. City Music Hall is something and they moved it around and you know, Kansas City is going to have it coming up here in Detroit. But did you get a sense that Roger Goodell in the league looked at Vegas and said, we want to come back here again? I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? You know what I mean? Like the, the link was the thing that was surprising to me. I didn't know how that would all look. But, I mean, that was impressive, um, just the setup and the, the amount of people that were there. And um, I can't imagine um, why they wouldn't want to hold it here every year. Um, but um, I, I, I have to imagine they're definitely going to come back after what the and to put on for the, you know, what they put on for the um, the weekend there. Dave Ziegler joins us in studio. So ahead of the draft, did you think there would be that many trades? I mean, nine trades. I can't imagine what that was like as you're sitting back ready to pounce there coming up in the third round and you see all this movement from A.J. Brown, Detroit, moving up to get a receiver. What was that like as you were putting your plan together and seeing all that movement? Yeah, um, I've learned never to be surprised in the NFL, but um, – you know, it, it was a, a, fear, a flurry of activity, yeah. and it was, you know, you're always kind of, you know, taken back a little bit, like when all these different trades are going on, because it happens so fast. You know, usually when you're doing a trade, oftentimes, I mean, that can be a tedious process. Sure. You know, a trade can take months um, to get done or weeks to get done. And so to see it all go down that way, I know um, uh, Dwayne Joseph, our pro director, one of his jobs in the draft room was kind of keeping track of the trades and updating our boards in terms of who we're picking there and it's like every time I look DJ was up moving or moving around yeah. and scrambling around he had the most stressful job over the weekend keeping track of all that those trades um but again I think it just speaks to um you know where we're going in the league in terms of um from a salary standpoint and and, and managing your cap and you know as as the demands of salaries are going up for some of these premium positions like you know, you can only have so many of those contracts on your roster. Right. And so teams have to be really sensitive to not just what the outlook is today, but what their outlook is in 23 and 24. Are we going to be able to, you know, pay um, A.J. Brown this amount? How does that affect the rest of sure. our roster? Is it sustainable? And so as those things are happening, I think you're seeing, like, you know, a little bit more of um, some of these these players changing, um, changing venues. That is a great segue, what I wanted to talk about. Before you got here and when you got here, you decided on this position – with Josh, and you started to look at the movement that you had to make with current salaries, who you were going to bring in in free agency, who aren't going to get fifth-year options. With your experience, what gave you an edge with that, looking at all those numbers and how to set that part of the roster before the draft? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I was able, you know, to, to get some of that experience in New England, and I just think from a roster-building standpoint, like, the one thing that I've talked about for us is when you're when you have a specific vision in terms of the roles on your team and even the roles within each position group okay so then within those roles there's an element of like how much you allocate to those different roles so it's not just this mosaic of okay we're going to have eight receivers okay and then it's like one receiver the fourth receiver on our team ideally fits a specific role where he's a inside to outside player and contributing to the kicking game so that's a specific mindset that you have. And then there's a certain allocation of money, right, that goes into that role. And so that's throughout the whole team. I won't, you know, go through every role and how we allocate all that type of stuff. But having that mindset, it gives you a lot more of a structured approach when you're looking at roster building, because you have a sense of, okay, what a third receiver is here, how much that 
um, how much we're going to allocate to that position and how much we value it. It helps kind of set the stru- structure, I would say, um, from, a, from a monetary standpoint of how you're going to build that. So I would be fascinated to know how that changed with Devante because a big number, obviously giving up draft equity. So then you set your board up and you know that there are going to be some more offensive players coming in. You've got a couple of running backs. You're deciding on what you're going to do. So the experience that you had in the past, did you ever have anything that you think would be that big, pulling the trigger on a monster player via a trade right before the draft and then keep those numbers and those allocations in line? Yeah, well, it's not something we, I would say, in my training um, in New England that we, that wasn't really, um, you know, ever a part of the philosophy there, right? Right. Um, and, and so you develop your own philosophy and, and I think what, what came, what came to fruition there was, um, you know, being able to acquire, um, one of the top players, if not the best player at his position, um, and also having that player wanting to come here too, Sure, you know, and, and so that made it a little bit easier too. And then, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of, to your, to your question, before you make that decision, there's a lot of philosophical things that you have to um, come to understand, like the roster building is going to be different after you make a decision like that and how you're going to build the roster and how you're going to be able to spend money, um, this year in free agency, free agency. And as you go forward, yeah, it changes your perspective on things. And so we had, we had a lot of discussions before we ultimately made that decision. Like, Hey, this is how this is going to impact us going forward. This is how this is going to impact our decision-making process. This is how it's going to impact how we build the team. So there was a lot of discussions before. You don't just do that. Sure. Um, you don't just do that trade unless, unless you, you know, maybe if you've um, institutionally been together in one place for 10 years and you understand how everything comes together. But this was a new situation. We had to, we had to come to um, an agreement on a lot of things before we made that trade of like, all right, once we do this, like this is how it's going to be going forward. And, um, you know, the draft's going to be a, an important part of this going forward. We need young players to um, contribute and have roles on this team. Dave Ziegler's our guest. One more on that. That must be fascinating now to put in your arsenal and your resume to say with the experience you have and you have a long career in front of you that you pulled the trigger on a deal like that before your first draft. You knew personally you'd have to wait for the third round. And then when you saw the run on the receivers early in the trades for that, mm-hmm. did that help you justify your decision even more that you made a great choice? Felt better. Yeah, felt a lot better, <laughs> I can assume. Right? Yeah, once that, that draft board was cleared out pretty quick of you know who those top receivers were. And so um, I think, you know, uh, again, I really wasn't necessarily looking for validation. We felt like ultimately when we made the decision, we again, we'd thought a lot about it. Um, the ins and the outs of it, the ramifications for 23, the ramifications for 24, how it was going to affect everything. And so we thought a lot about that. But at the same time, um, you know, um, receiver would have been a position of need, you know. Sure. And so um, to see that kind of run happen and it, you know, I, you know, personally, does it help kind of make you feel a little bit more comfortable about the decision that you made? Sure. You know, it does. A lot of fans nationally were saying this is the Vegas draft because it looked so exceptional and it was amazing, but it was also the Georgia draft. Mm. And when you saw something like this historically, and from what the Raiders have done with Alabama players in the past and Clemson recently, 
Did you imagine that when you saw the run on the Georgia players? You ended up getting one at running back, but the defensive players that started flying off the board, that was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And um, once you really spent time watching the team, which we, you know, you end up watching a lot of guys, um, you want to watch the top competition. Sure. So you see a lot of Georgia tape even when you're not watching Georgia guys because you're watching other guys play against Georgia. That's who you want to see. And so once I saw, you know, Georgia for the 12th time, yeah. I wasn't too surprised. Three in the morning watching yeah, Georgia yeah, tape again. That all these guys went because they were so talented and they just had guys at every position on defense. I mean, um, well, I mean, uh, a credit to, to, to those guys down there and their recruiting staff and being able to get those players in and keep those players with the transfer portal now. It's hard to keep those players and find a way to utilize them um, and find roles for them as a tribute to those guys down at Georgia. They do a great job down there, obviously. Dave Ziegler is our guest in studio at the Raiders facility. So you get Dylan Parham at the offensive line position in the third round. So I'm hosting a draft party, and you're up at 86, and then you move back. So I'm figuring you knew you had the player or you hoped you'd have the player. What is that anxiety like when you know that there are a lot of other GMs around the league that might want your that you know you want to get at 86, but it'll probably be there at 90. What was that like? Yeah, that's the anxiety of the yeah. draft. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, throughout the draft, that's where the um, the stressful moments come, and that's where the you know the anxiety comes as you're waiting to pick. Uh, you know who's going to be available. You know you go into I would say you go into every kind of selection with you know more than one player. Um, obviously, sometimes it can get down to one player, but um, you know the, the best strategy is have you know you you have to be comfortable with a couple guys at a couple different slots. Um, ultimately, you know we um, we had a team that wanted to move up, and we felt like the trade with, was worthwhile for us from a point standpoint. When you look at um, you know again, every trade is monitored by points. You're mm -hmm. winning trades, you're losing trades, you're sure. even. We felt like we were getting really good value out of the trade, and we felt like there was going to be a couple guys there. We hoped there would be a couple guys there if we traded back that we were going to be comfortable taking at slot 90. Um, and, and Dylan was, was one of those guys, and Dylan ended up being there. And so, um, it was a good feeling to have him still there. You're kind of just staring at that screen as those picks come up, you know, um, you know hoping that that guy doesn't go. So I'm definitely sure. some anxiety. That was great. Then Zamir White, the running back. So in your due diligence with him, because his story is so incredible, and the Georgia tape you talked about watching with him at running back, and the running back room is pretty much fulled up now. You have a lot of competition there. What was one or two things that really jumped out? Maybe one on the field that you mm -hmm. saw, but something about his character that was really important. It's physicality and speed on the field. Like, he's a guy that runs between the tackles. He's powerful. He runs behind his pads. Um, he creates yards on contact. And so there's this physical element to that player. Um, I would say it, a lot of times when you have those physical backs, you it, it, the the rarity part is his speed. So he ran a four three nine coming out. So to have the combination of this physical element, but also have a guy that can hit the home run sure. when he gets into open space, I'd say those are the the kind of the unique combination of him um, as a player that were that were intriguing. In terms of the kid, I, I think um, he had been through a lot of life adversity. Um, not just some of the health things that he went through, like when he was born, uh, also you know the knee injuries yeah. that he have, that he has had, uh, and so to know that a guy has went through so much life adversity and had come out the other end with still remarkable traits, remarkable character, um, hard to find a bad thing um, that someone's going to say about about this guy, um, tells me a lot about just the level of maturity when you're coming into the league all the different transitions that you're going to have to go through from living on your own to a new city to a new playbook, um, all the different things that come up um, with be becoming a professional athlete. 
looking back at what he'd already been through gives you more confidence that you know he's going to be able to handle those things in a mature way and you have a low-maintenance player on your hand. Dave Ziegler live in studio at the Raider facility. My favorite part of the draft was the fourth and fifth round, LSU and Tennessee, and then they put the video up of it. And we only have so much of it, and we see both players pop and the, the physicality and the strength and how quick uh, Neil and especially Matthew are off the ball. Tell us a little bit about their speed, versatility on top of what they add coming into camp soon. Yeah, well, you know, um, Neil's a big guy that can anchor the middle. And I think the thing about Neil that you saw on tape was he can eat space, which is an important thing. You want to plug gaps, right? You want to close down running lanes. The thing that he was able to do that we liked um, that you saw on tape is he also was able to defeat blocks and make plays. So there's one thing about a guy that can just come in there and eat space and just kind of man the middle. But, um, you know, Neil, for a bigger guy, is able to defeat blocks, make some plays out of, the, out of his gap. He has a nimbleness about him, I would say, with his feet. He, he can move a little bit. Um, and, you know, when you looked at the senior bowl tape, um, you know, he had a lot of um, just impressive snaps there, whether it had been from the one-on-ones or, or in practice where he's going against some different style of offensive linemen and being able to just to be physical and, and, and kind of be a, a guy that could create a new line of scrimmage. And so I think those were some of the things that were uh, attractive about him when we watched his tape. Um, Matthew brings a little bit of a different element in terms of he's not as big. Um, he's under 300 pounds. He's a very instinctive player. Uh, he can move around the line of scrimmage a little bit more. So, you know, we have, um, you know, when you look at our roster, we have a lot of big guys um, that can eat space. Uh, Farrell's a big guy. Hankins mm-hmm. is a big guy. Um, Billings is a big guy. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a couple other guys that, you know, a Vernon Butler who we signed is a big guy. And so we have a lot of big guys, and we like big guys. That's why we have a lot of them. Uh, but Matt gives you kind of a guy that can move across the line of scrimmage. He can line up at the one technique. He can line up at the three technique. Um, we hopefully have some versatility to line up, you know, four or five technique. And there's a, a little bit more of um, he, he's really efficient at defeating blocks and finding the football, making plays out of his gap too. But he can do it from he, – he showed the ability to do it from different spots. And so it's kind of a different piece inside than some of the guys that we had. And, and, and again, another guy, character – um, very high. Yes. We saw that with Vince Wilfork with the Patriots, when you have a guy that demands a double team, and then the Patriot running back, uh, excuse me, linebackers when you were there that were able to make plays a little bit easier mm-hmm. because of the scheme and being able to attack and knowing that there wasn't a problem up front. Now we stay here in Las Vegas where you have the depth of that position, or at least growing it, and you have Chandler Jones and Max coming off the edge. So the fact that you didn't get a linebacker until the undrafted free agents, when you looked at that, did you feel like this defensive line had to be solidified because everything will be better from the linebackers to the secondary after that? Yeah, I think that's right. I think just philosophically, like building it inside out is, is um, you know, something that we've always believed in. And, you know, having those big guys up front, like like you just said it, they they eat space, they keep players off those, you know, off yeah. those guys at the second level. And, um, you know, we're excited about the guys that um, we got in college free agency there. And um, not to say that, you know, again, we're looking to improve every position uh, constantly. Um, but, you know, having a big, strong defensive line does give you some, gives those guys at the second level some relief, some relief. Do you believe that just historically where you've come from and your tree and what you like so much about this, the undrafted free agents is something that you want to explode on? That's going to be part of your namesake. What was it like after day three and getting all these scouts, new scouts, people you've known, people in the building? Take me through that process and how difficult it was, fun it was, and how ready you were for it. Yeah. 
it was really it was one of the most efficient processes I've been a part of. Outstanding. Um, Champ Kelly, our assistant GM, and and um, some of our other um, area scouts, our national scout Sean Harak, Andy Dangler, Dewan Daniels, and a plethora of the area scouts. Um, but those guys really took the lead on, I would say, getting it organized, um, getting it set up, tiering out the different guys, you know, the A-tier, B-tier, C-tier players, if you will, uh, having, a lot, having a lot of dialogue with the players, um, you know, through the through the process where, and I'm talking about even back in March where you're Zooming guys and being able to kind of um, get to know players, recruit players to a degree during that time. Um, so we were really ready for it. Those guys had done, did a really good job of being prepared. And once the bell rang, it was, man, we were ripping and rolling. And, yeah. and, and before you knew it, um, you know, our class was, we, we were good to go, you know, and we, we filled out our class with the guys that we wanted to at the positions that we wanted to. Now you're talking about, you're looking more at need. Yeah. You know, we, we talked a lot about the best available player throughout the draft, but when you get into college free agency, you're still looking for the best available players, but you're also looking like, okay, we need to have 12 receivers, you know, at camp, or we need to have so many tight ends. And so there's much more of a focus on need, but um, I can't say enough about, you know, what our group did. And I would say that's been kind of a theme that's been um, something that's been impressive to me um, since we've been here on the scouting side. And I know Josh would say the same thing on the coaching side. We've brought a lot of new people in. Um, and, uh, you know, from a, we started in April, um, you know, a small group of us getting ready for the draft and kind of just working from the, the draft, mm-hmm. uh, each position top to bottom. We hadn't spent a lot of time together, and, and we talked about it at the end. It was like we felt like we'd been working together for five years. Um, it was just kind of that level of continuity and, and um, uh, a bunch of guys kind of uh, low-ego guys driven by team, and it's been a – it's a really cool process. So, again, hats off to those guys. They did a great job in college free agency. Last position group. I want to go back to the offensive line. June 1st, post-June 1st, do you think there'll be an opportunity? It could be a big name that gets cut on cut down. It could be an injury. Someone got banged up. How important is that now with the development of Alex Leatherwood, what you have with Colton Miller, what you did in the draft with your first selection to maybe find one more player? How do you find that added depth still on the offensive line? Yeah, well, I think, um, we're, one, we are really excited about the guys that we have on the offensive line and, and their development. And, and um, I've said it before, I think we have a, a lot of guys that are ascending players there um, that are going to continue to get better. Um, but at the same time, like you, like you mentioned, and I would say whether it's the offensive line, really any position, like um, post-June 1st, um, there'll be some players there. Um, you know, there's there's trade opportunities. You go into the preseason, you know, as, as um, different position battles develop and then other teams are looking at, you know, they want the young guy to play. Then, the you know, the older veteran guy gets cast to the side or the, um, the cut down at the 53 when there's going to be players available there. We're going to always look at all those avenues to add players. And the offensive line, um, you know, I, I would say you can never have enough of them. Sure. Um, you know, because it is a pl- it is a position where there is so much development that takes place because the college game is so much different than the pro game when it comes to run schemes and pass protection and things like that. And so, you have to if you're not it, it, quarterbacks, no different. Like I think you have to be you know you have to kind of be in the quarterback market all the time too um, to 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 find players because that's that's a position that there's a developmental aspect to. And so. Um, whether it's the offensive line or whether it's anybody, any other position, we're always going to be um, 
whether it's um, through our league contacts and finding out what where teams are at in terms of their roster or what actually comes across the waiver wire, um, we're going to be you know dialed into those spots and looking for players. Dave, as we wrap this up, how much do you and Josh love competition? You came from one of the <clears throat> great organizations in football the last 20-plus years. Fans want to know that level of competition. There's been previous coaches who have been real competitive, too. We know their names mm-hmm. and other executives here. But what make you two as a team ultra competitive, especially with the calendar flipping now to May as we get to June and you get everybody here in-house? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, we have had, we've been very fortunate to to experience a very high level of success throughout our careers. Um, You know, for myself, um, you know, I started in the league in 2010 and um, there's only been two seasons where I haven't been in the playoffs, Um, you know, four Super Bowls. Um, and you know, Josh is his streaks even a lot longer. Streak is insane. His, his streaks insane. Yeah, it's a lot it long. Is. It's a lot longer than mine. So, um, I don't know. Like once you taste it, um, you know, it's it's a taste that never leaves your mouth. And so, like, and, and also knowing what it looks like and what it takes, right? So we've seen it. We know what it looks like. We know what it takes, and and we've tasted it. And so that drive for us, um, I would say, is just. Um, it's all we really know because it's all we've experienced. And so, um, you know, we, we're competing at a high level. I'm competing today. Sure. You know, I'm competing against that checklist I have in my office of all those things that I need to get done that I think are going to help improve the team and help improve this organization. And for me, it's a, it's a race from the, the time I step in the building until the time that I go. And I know Josh has that same mindset also. So it's really, um, it's, it's, it goes beyond just the field too. It's, you know, we're, we really are kind of, we're always talking about the way that we can improve every single aspect of the organization. And um, whether it was the, um, you know, the draft process, uh, I had a conversation about how, you know, what the post-draft food was like, there you, y- go. you know, and what the menu was like. The restaurants it, in this town, <laughs> it's good to order in here in this town, yeah, I can tell you that. No doubt. So, um, you know, we, we're looking at all those things. And um, Josh and I have been competing since we were 18 years old. You know, we were in the same wide receiver group. So we were competing against each other at that time for play time. And so it's just, it's a, it's just a, natural, um, it's a natural kind of a, a feeling between the both of us of, of how we operate and how we move. And that's why we get along so well. I think what's so fascinating for you guys is the success you talked about, especially recently and competing against the Raiders in the past mm-hmm. and the history of the Raiders mm-hmm. and Al Davis. Mm-hmm. Have you had an opportunity to step back? When did that hit you the most that – Man, I've been scheming against the Raiders and going against the Raiders and wanting to beat them, and now I'm a Raider. When did that hit you for the first time? Yeah, I would say just, you know, when we pulled up to the facility or the day of the press conference, um, when we were going to do the introductory press conference, and, you know, you see this beautiful building pop out of the, pop out of the desert, and then you see the, you know, the torch out front and the flame going. And I think that's kind of where it, that's kind of where it hit me. Yeah, I could tell. Um, you know, where I'm like, all right, man, well, like we're, we're Raiders now. And, and um, you know, growing up, um, you know, I was, you know, the Raiders were always just one of those franchises. It's always just been a cool franchise. Like the Raiders are cool. Yeah. You know, and, and from Bo Jackson to Marcus Allen to Rich Gannon to Mr. Davis, um, and and uh, Charles Woodson and you know then Jerry was here and you know all those different people here and just looking at this emblem here like um, you know it was just uh, that moment when we pulled in and saw that torch and just saw this building and saw the silver and black it was like 
man, we're really like, we're really here. Um, we're really Raiders. And hit it hit me. And I still, when I walk in in the mornings, you know, sometimes I look up and, you know, see the Raiders emblem on the side of the building and the words, and I'm like, I'm, you know, the GM of the Raiders. Like, time this to is, get to work, yeah. Time to get to work. This is awesome. Uh, last one, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. What are your expectations from the fans? These fans have been through a lot. They have a deep history. Cliff Branch mm-hmm. will be re- uh, represented in Canton, Ohio. You have the Hall of Fame game. When you interact with these Raider fans since you've been here and you're going to be at Allegiant Stadium representing this franchise, what are your expectations from these great fans? Um, well, I would say uh, while I was out in New England, I oftentimes when I was a pro scout would have to go advance games, right? So you'd go and, and see the next opponent. And sometimes it was the next opponent you were going to play. Uh, um, <clears throat> it didn't mean like I may be going to watch the 49ers, but they happen to be playing in Oakland. Right. So I went to a lot of games in in, in Oakland. And so um, I saw what that black hole was like. And I also saw the elements in the parking lot before the games, you know, what that energy was like. And then um, going into the stadium, getting to see um, kind of that that part of the stadium operate. Um, So what my expectations are, I'd say um, very similar to what I saw then was a lot of passion, a lot of noise, um, a lot of distraction, a lot of colorful characters. and just a lot of people that like love the Raiders, but also like understand their role as fans of affecting the game. Raiders fans, like one thing that I noticed going out there is like they understand the flow of the game. They understand yeah. when it's third down. They understand when it's a crucial moment in the game. They understand when it's a two minute drill. Like they're there to be disruptive. And I like that. I like Raiders fans that come in on Sundays and want to be disruptive and have a good time. And um, that's what we expect. And I would say just, um, you know, my, the interactions that I have had with fans here, um, it's really cool to see the passion here. But, you know, the Raiders brand is like that's international, you know, and, it, and it's across the country. It's all through California. It's in Mexico. Um, the Raiders is a brand that is global. And so, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about um, that first game and, and uh, hearing those fans and their, and their vocal strengths. Thanks for having us in, Dave. Great to get to know you now. And I yeah. hope I can come in here and do this more often. Anytime. You got it. Appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed that again if you didn't catch it the first time around. And you can share it if you could at Raiders.com or anywhere on all the Raiders' social media. The Devontae Adams stuff was really remarkable that he gave us that information on after they made that move, how they changed everything after it from a value point with these other position groups. And I knew that before he came here from his years at the Patriots and a little bit as a fan of the philosophy of the Patriots on how they value each position group. And now I think the wide receiver position looks different to Dave and Josh and the entire organization after Devontae was traded for, given new fresh money, an enormous contract, which he rightfully deserves, and now the opportunity to fill out those other key positions at receiver, which they've done before they even signed Devontae Adams with Brian Edwards coming back and what they have with Robinson from Kansas City and all the other – Hunter Renfro who's under contract and a really good contract and eventually will get renewed, we all believe. A very complex time there. But the plan is in place. Uh, Thanks to Dave Ziegler for sharing that with us. 702-365-9200. When we come back, there's still some undrafted free agents available. We talked about this June 1st date, and could the Raiders get an offensive lineman? I think they will. Also, there's a great cornerback available all of a sudden, who played for the Giants under Patrick Graham. So are the Raiders done yet? What are they going to do? And we'll also take a look at the big announcement next week about the schedule release when we come back. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Law. We had Ashley on 
Yesterday, Ashley Watkins from Sam and Ash. Ash stands for Ashley. She was fantastic, too. If you get into any type of accident, go to SamAndAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. We'll take a look at the schedule again to remind you what next week is all about when we continue here Friday along with Bobby JT. Raider Nation Radio, follow me throughout the weekend at JT the Brick on Twitter and on Facebook. How about this weather? How about this weekend right here in Las Vegas, home of the Raiders on their flagship, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Carr will go back into the gun on this third down. Takes it back, looks in the end zone, looks for a crosser, throws deep corner, jump ball, touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Raider touchdown! Darren Waller! Yeah, baby! Welcome back, JT, as we continue Friday here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Want to get ahead of the schedule release that's coming up next week. Remember the NFL schedule, which is always a great show, kind of weird with our time slot. It gets introduced... Next week, May 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. I think, excuse me, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern. So it's right when we're going to wrap up the show. But as in the past, a lot of games get leaked. Some games will get leaked, one by each team for an opening game. Uh, We know what the international schedule is about. I'll get to that momentarily. But it's a really important moment for the Raiders and Raider fans. So next week, again, I've been doing this. For 25 years. Forget about the Raiders. I've been doing this with my core group of friends. We do this and we're experts on this. And we can help you with this. It's not so much. A lot of Raider fans come in from out of town now. Now obviously we have a vibrant community here in Vegas of season ticket holders. But there are a lot of season ticket holders in Southern California. In the Bay Area. And all around the country. That want to come in for home Raider games. So the Raider home schedule is obviously the three division opponents, Denver, Kansas City, and the Chargers. And we won't have the dates until next week. Arizona Cardinals come in. Remember, they were the first team to 10 wins last year. And there's been a lot of distraction with DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to be suspended for six games. Kyler Murray scrubbing Arizona from social media. And they seem to have that back on track. So I think this is a very important home game to talk about. Let's spend some time on that first. There's no DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games. So would you all agree you'd like to have that game early on the schedule? Arizona is a very good team. They're coming into Vegas. Let's get them early. Now, other people would say just the opposite. Let's get them at the end of the year because that's historically when Kyler Murray, who's still a very young player, breaks down and they play their worst football the second half of the year. So I don't know where you want that game. I'd like to get it early so we don't see DeAndre Hopkins They have some other weapons, too, and they're really good on defense. They got playmakers in all aspects of that defense, but Kyler Murray's the big deal, so I'd rather get him early in the first two or three home games. The next game, and again, we don't know what order they're going to be, but I'll just go with the Houston Texans. This is supposed to be the only gimme on the Raiders' schedule, and no one will admit to it, nor will I, but I brought it out there that that's what, quote-unquote, the public thinks. Worst team in football, arguably, and we'll get to another one that's on the Raiders' schedule, is Houston at home. An absolute must win. A game that the Raiders have to win that game. Circle it as a win because there's not many games on the schedule 
even with the Raider team that won 10 games that you say, that's definitely a lock that the Raiders are going to win. So, again, we're talking about the home schedule. Indy comes in. This is a massive payback game. Yannick Ngakwe is really pissed off. There's a lot of media coming out of Indy that there was a column written about him at The Athletic, all the teams he's played for. He loved being a Raider. He had 10 sacks. He's upset. Pro football focus showed the drop-off with Yannick. If the Raiders didn't get Chandler Jones, and we didn't expect that to happen, no one knew that was happening, I expected Yannick Ngakwe to be back and have another big year. Double-digit sacks is fine by me. He was a team leader in the locker room, on and off the field to practice, and a good player that we wish well. Now all of a sudden he's chirping that the Raiders don't want to see him and he's coming back for that game. On top of that, Matt Ryan is the quarterback for Indy as they made a big change at the quarterback position, as we all know. So Carson Wentz ended up going to the Washington Commanders after starting with Philadelphia, going to Indy. Raiders knocked Indy out of the playoffs. Technically, it was Jacksonville last year in that last game, but the Raiders did it the week before. Going into Indy, that great Hunter Renfro catch, and it kept the Raiders' momentum going as the Raiders were on their way to the playoffs. New England comes into Las Vegas, which is a massive game. Well coached with Bill Belichick, the Patriot way, the connection to Dave Ziegler, who you just heard, and Josh McDaniels. Massive game. Mac Jones at quarterback. Derek Carr's better. Derek Carr's going to have to outperform him. I expect that to be a really important game with a lot of hype. Now, these two games I mentioned in the Patriot game and the 49er game, a little bit of a concern here because those fans are going to come and they're going to buy tickets. And Raider fans have got to pretty much go out of their way, but I'm, I'm done doing this. You know where I stand on selling tickets to opposing fans. Well, you're going to see Patriot fans and Niner fans want to gobble up every ticket available. New England fans in Boston want to go to Vegas. They want to go to Vegas for the first time with the Patriots. They will buy an enormous amount of tickets if you make them available. And then finally, the 49er game. Uh, what will happen with Debo Samuel? Everyone hopes he leaves the 49ers, who's a Raider fan. But that'll be another big game, too. Young quarterback in Trey Lance. So I'd like to see the Niner game early. Just like I said, Arizona with Hopkins being out. Let's get the Niners early where Trey Lance hasn't become a starter and is in a rhythm. If you can take Debo Samuels out of that equation and they trade him, which the Niners don't want to do, and you get a young Trey Lance who's never played, let alone never played in Vegas, that could be an intimidating game for him. But Niner fans will be up. They'll show up in force. And that's where Raider fans really should be upset and police themselves. That game is going to be a madhouse in Vegas because the Niner fans are coming. They're wearing their gear. They got the money to buy tickets. And Raider fans have got to be smart enough not to put them up on StubHub and on the secondary outlets because every Niner fan will buy it. It's a cheap flight for them to get here, and they want to come to Allegiant Stadium for the first time. So home schedule's tough. The only gimme there is Houston. Arizona Indy, the Patriots, and the Niners. Niners made the playoffs. We know Arizona did. New England, a playoff team, and the Colts pretty much are a playoff team. They choked last year. That is not easy. Raiders knocked the Chargers out of the playoffs. That's a payback game. Kansas City, and we know that with Russell Wilson, Denver's going to be much better. So we're getting ahead of the schedule release as we are brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. Remember today, 5 to 7, midnight to 2, with everything happening over the weekend, including F1 
when I have some friends of mine down there in Miami. That'll be fun to watch at a PTs. All right, let's get to the meat of this, which is the Raider road schedule for next week. So, again, Denver, Kansas City, the Chargers. I expect one or two of those games, a Thursday night game, to be in prime time. So the Raiders will get a Thursday night game in the division, most likely at home or, if not, on the road. Same with the Monday night football game. Monday night could be Kansas City. I've been there, done that. I think they're going to give us the Charger game because the Charger game was the last game of the year and was probably the best regular season game in decades. One of the Mount Rushmore greatest regular season games of all time. So don't be surprised if we get Chargers on Monday night, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, and I'd sign up for that all day, or it could be the world champion L.A. Rams. So let's uh, touch on that on the road. So this is the road schedule. If you're a Raider fan, do you want the Ram game on Monday night football or Sunday night football? I would think, I'm guessing here, I don't know, I guess it's, it's a lock that you take the world-famous Raider brand, put it in L.A., and that's the most interesting game for me because even though the Rams won the Super Bowl, that's a Raider home game. A Raider home game in Los Angeles against not only the Chargers but the Rams. Now, the same thing for the Rams. If they put their tickets up on secondary markets, Raider fans in L.A. are going to buy it up. That's a game I really want to be at because, again, the pomp and circumstance of the Super Bowl champs and the Raiders, I would expect that game on the road is going to be a Sunday night game. So hold me to that one Sunday or Monday night or what, what Amazon's doing. I don't think Amazon Prime wants to take that game. Too many fans don't have that, and that would really cause insanity. All right, we continue on. Excuse me, let's get to the New Orleans game. The biggest road trip for Raider Nation has always been New Orleans. We don't get a chance to go there many times. When we do, the memories are amazing. Raider parties, Super Bowl 15 victory, owning Bourbon Street with the silver and black. That game is very important to me. I hope it's around the holidays. Maybe we can get it around Christmas. Maybe we can get it around Thanksgiving, depending on what that schedule looks like. But I can't wait for that game. That's the one game I have circled, Raiders at New Orleans. Dennis Allen uh, yesterday said that all intentions are Jameis Winston will be the starting quarterback for New Orleans. No surprise there. Then the Raiders play at Pittsburgh, where they've been successful recently playing in the Berg. I like that game, too. They're breaking in a new quarterback. Who will that quarterback be? Kenny Pickett or will it be Mitchell Trubisky? I think the Raider fans would like to see Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh because he has no experience and we get an opportunity for that game and a win. Either way, the Raiders are playing a quarterback that Derek Carr is significantly better than. So that Pittsburgh game becomes a must-win game on the road. They're all must-wins, but this game is a manageable win there. Raiders also play Jacksonville. Jacksonville's got a completely new team. New head coach in Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and a whole bunch of new weapons on the offensive side. They drafted well with the number one pick overall. Jacksonville is going to be serious, and their fans are going to be loud there. Now, if you're a Raider fan traveling on the East Coast and you're listening to us and you're streaming the show today, East Coast Raider fans don't have many opportunities to go on the road. Seattle and L.A. are really far away if you're an East Coast fan. New Orleans isn't close. I mean, forget about Chargers, Kansas City, Denver. Pittsburgh is your close game. For you East Coast fans that want to go see the Raiders on the road or Jacksonville, because there's a lot of Raider fans throughout the South, that would be the game. Raiders got Houston at home and Jacksonville on the road. 
Those are two games where they'll be the favorite. I'm assuming the favorite, and they're going to have to win it. Then we get to Nashville. As we saw with the NFL draft, Nashville looks amazing. And I've been to, I've been to Raider games in Tennessee before, but Nashville has changed with their Broadway and their downtown scene, and Raider fans can walk over the bridge the way they walk over the Hacienda Bridge there. So I'm waiting for that game to come out. If you had to hold me to it, the biggest road game for me is New Orleans, then it's Nashville in regards to getting a whole bunch of Raider fans there. And then finally, Seattle, where Seattle's no joke. I've said this before. I told a buddy of mine this week. I've been there doing sidelines in the third quarter of a preseason game, and I couldn't hear the broadcast. That place is loud. And Seattle has not been good to the Raiders, as I recall. All the times we go up there to play preseason games, it's always a loss, always a loss, before we get back on the plane to start the season. I never understood that, why we always played the last preseason game in Seattle. Seattle would play the quarterback, Russell Wilson. We wouldn't start Derek Carr. Seattle would win the game. The Raiders would get boat raced, and then the regular season would start. I know the preseason doesn't mean anything. This isn't a preseason game. Raiders at Seattle will be a hostile environment. So big takeaway, schedule release May 12th. We'll be on before it. We'll be on afterwards. It'll be a big show. What you got to do is get your credit card ready, get your airline tickets available and ready, find a hotel, now an Airbnb, where you can stay on the road, find out where the Raiders are staying, which isn't hard to do, get a hotel room, downtown Jacksonville, New Orleans. You know the program. And for Raider fans who are traveling to home games and are traveling on the road, I feel for you. And this economy with the price of oil and air fuel and the price of these tickets that are being canceled, lack of pilots and flight attendants, it is not easy to travel. So if you're a Raider fan, you're the best in football. Schedule comes out next week. Get ready to pounce. Get ready to pounce the morning of May 12th. Get on the phone, a text message with your friends. Pick the road game you're going to. Pick the home games you're going to and celebrate Raider Nation. We're going to have great team coverage here all week long. It's a big week for us with the schedule release for all of our partners here. All the remotes we're going to have an opportunity to do. All the live events that are going to be based around these home games and potential trips to go on the road with us. On Raider Nation Radio, schedule released right here on the Raiders mobile app. Welcome back, JT, as we wrap up this week here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, and busy week for us here. The Dave Ziegler interview, happy you got a chance to hear that again. Uh, just got off the phone with Rich Murata, who's listening to the show, as he always streams us. Uh, he was a former voice of the Raiders. Back in L.A., he's been the longtime founder of the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. And later on, early this evening, I'll be over at Resorts World. It's the first time the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame is going to have their announcement in public. It'll be at Red Tail, which is in the back of the property. If you walk to the giant globe, there's a giant globe at Resorts World. Red Tail is not too far from there. There's going to be a lot of boxing dignitaries there, and they got a major, major announcement on one of the newest members of the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. So if you're a boxing fan here in town like I am, uh, Canelo, the big fight this weekend off of Cinco de Mayo. Hope everybody had a great Cinco de Mayo. Uh, if you're a boxing fan, it's right across from the Mike Tyson statue. Don't know if you've seen that at Resorts World, but that they have this massive Mike Tyson statue that was dedicated to him right across from Red Tail, where we'll be doing a lot with Resorts World 
over there, and it's right next to eight. Cigar Lounge that I always mention, so I'll be out there tonight for a little bit to uh, see this announcement, as I've always been in support of the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. We're also in support of the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and starting next week, we'll be interviewing some of the inductees into the next class. So for next week, as we've been talking about, my focus is on schedule release. We'll build up to that. We'll find out about the primetime schedule. Monday Night Football now has Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Sunday Night Football, as they said goodbye to Al Michaels to go to Amazon. You got Mike Tirico, the Kirk Herbstreet now connection as a broadcaster in the NFL and in college. Man, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of change happening in life all around us. So that'll be a big week next week. And then we'll get ready for the Raiders to start getting players together. And when we get into these mini camps and what's going to happen before camp, I'll be out there a little bit more and we'll have more and more conversations. I give all of our insiders that we have on kind of a break from me at this time of year, unless there's breaking news when it comes to a player or a draft pick or anything issues, uh, big issues with the team. So hopefully next week we'll get Vic Tafer on or Paul Gutierrez, uh, Vinny Bonsignor, who's going to have a busy show today. I've been talking to Vinny throughout the day today. So listen to his show as always and enjoy this great weather. Enjoy the opportunity to get outside. If you're a golfer tomorrow, the wind is supposed to kick up again, but it's pool season. It's backyard brick. I got one of my uh, sons home from college, the other one coming home uh, next week. So I'm excited about that and having a great weekend. want to thank Bobby Machado who put all the shows together this week. We really appreciate that, Bobby. And everybody who's listened, called in, tweeted, and are involved with the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. Thanks for listening all week long. If you miss any portion of the show, go to lvsportsnetwork.com or hit me up via Twitter at JT the Brick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Q on deck into Vinny. You're listening to the flagship of the Las Vegas Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. Nobody.